Welcome to Abby and the Mustangs. This podcast connects Mustang lovers everywhere and sparks conversations in an effort to promote the adoptions of American Mustangs. I'm your host, Abby Condi. everyone. So today we are going to be hearing from Anne Hanlon, who she runs the family-owned and operated farm, Stonebrook Farms Mustang Eventing. And her story is just so cool that I wanted to bring her on for an interview. And so you'll be hearing from her. And basically, she adopted a wild stallion. And he's not a stallion anymore, but he was very, very famous out on the range. He had a lot of people and a lot of photographers who knew him. And she adopted him and then she also adopted many of his offspring so she has like her little band of mustangs who are all a family so it's really really cool so that's who we're going to be hearing from today so welcome Anne to the show and so if you could just get started by telling us about your family farm and then the story of how you got into horses and then even mustangs yeah, thank you so much, Abby, for having me. I'm just really excited for this experience. Um, and so here at Stonebrook Farm, it's a family-owned and operated farm in Street, Maryland. Um, so part of my um, experience with horses, honestly, started a long time ago. Um, I think I could ride when I was about two years old, and my parents always joked that I could ride before I could walk. Um, so I grew up with my dad, who was a farrier, um, and my mom was a vet tech. So both animal lovers, and we grew up on a small family farm in Maryland, um, not too far from where we are now. And so I've always just loved horses. I've had kind of all different breeds of horses. My parents were big into the um, thoroughbreds as they were into fox hunting. And my mom did a little bit of eventing. Um, And my dad also was a heavy wheat steeplechase jockey. So they kind of dabbled in a little bit. And then I got into the eventing as a young um, teenage girl and have kind of fallen in love with it since then. I started eventing with a Shikatik pony from Shikatik Assateague Island. Um, and yeah, I've just kind of grown from there. I've had a, my heart horse was a quarter horse warm blood cross and a couple thoroughbreds. And I lost my heart horse back in um, January 2018. Mm-hmm. And that's when I um, started looking for. Another horse, um, he was a brown and white paint, and I wanted a horse of color, and they were just kind of hard to find or hard to find in my budget. Um, So a friend of mine sent me the website for the Mustangs, and um, I logged into the BLM, and just I saw Woodrow, and I instantly fell in love. So um, (laughs) Woodrow is the one that started he owned the Mustangs. He started um, Stonebrook Farm, which stands for SBF, Mustang Eventing, um, on my Facebook page. Um, and he's kind of the one that started my Mustang addiction. <laughs> That's awesome. So had you ever heard of the Mustangs before your friend sent you um, the link to Woodrow? No. 
No, I watched Spirit as a young girl, and I just, um, honestly, as I grew older, I didn't really think wild horses even existed anymore. Um, I knew nothing about them. Being on the East Coast, there is not much here about Mustangs. Um, a friend, the friend that sent me the link is the one that actually had a couple Mustangs, so she's the one that you know, introduced me to him. I was able to see the real live Mustang. And then she's the one that sent me the link um, and kind of got me, got me hooked. <laughs> wow. But no, prior to that, I did not know about them. Yeah. So it must have been like a love at first sight type of thing when you saw Woodrow, I'm guessing. Oh, my gosh, yes. Head over heels in love. I was like, oh, my goodness. I don't even know what I have to do to get this horse, but I have to get him. <laughs> <laughs> so how did the – it was an Internet adoption, right? So was it one of those, like, um, you had to auction – or not auction, you had to, like, bid on the horse and then highest bidder get them? Yeah, so I had to go in, and I learned a lot really quickly um, because I saw him – let me think of the timeline here. So I lost Checo in Janu Janu January, the middle of January, I I think the auction was, like, towards the end of February, and my friend literally sent me the link, like, a couple of days before the auction started. Um, and so I had to figure out what I needed to do to get approved in order to even bid. So I filled out my application online, got that submitted, um, got that approved, and then um, was able to bid when the auction started. And for him, because... You know, I'm not saying this because he's mine, but he's very good-looking. Um, he had a lot of charm. He was very well-known out in the wild. He was followed by several photographers. Um, his bid was extremely competitive. Like, it was nail-biting up until the very end. Oh, my so, gosh. It's like bidding on eBay, but ten times worse. <laughs> yeah, probably a lot more pressure, and you have a lot more at stake because, you know, you fell in love with him. So if you didn't get him, it's like, oh, my gosh, what did I just miss out on? Yeah, and it's it's hard because, you know, the auction lasts a couple of days. It's not like, you know, oh, here, hurry up, submit your application, get approved, and then you'll have them, you know, the next day. It was like a five-day wait, and I'm not good at waiting. <laughs> so it was killing me. And then for it, right. I mean, it was so competitive. Like, it was insane. Uh, I had gotten several recommendations from others that have been involved in these online um, bids through the Borough of Land Management, and they said just wait until the last minute. Like, put a bid in to make sure your number and everything works, and then just wait until the last couple minutes. So I did just that. And every bid I put in, I was outbid. Uh, and then it said auction ended. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I just missed out on him. And I was almost in tears. And I just, something told me to refresh my screen. I refreshed my screen, and it's like, you won. And I just burst into tears. I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> because every single bid I put in on him, I was at, you've been outbid. You've been outbid. You've been outbid. And then it was like, auction over. And then it was refresh your screen. You won. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, imagine you're out Yeah, it was like never had so many emotions all in like a matter of seconds, but it yeah. was amazing. So what um, herd management area did Woodrow come from? Uh, Saltwells Creek in Wyoming. Oh, wow. You know, it's funny. I actually have, um, well, I've adopted two Saltwells Creek horses. 
Um, but we only kept one, and we actually just sent him off for training. That's my mom's horse, and he's just so beautiful. They're big horses. They're pretty large. I mean, stocky. I mean, they're not super tall, but, I mean, the mare that we had gotten from Saltwells was built like an absolute tank. Her hind end was massive. She had the biggest horse butt I had ever seen. (laughs) Um, So I like those horses. Those are cool horses. I am completely obsessed with the Saltwells um, horses. And you're right. They are definitely, I would say, a little draftier. Um, and they don't have a ton of height. Like Woodrow's only 15 hands. Um, so he's not very big when you come from, you know, thoroughbreds that are 16 plus hands (laughs) to a 15 hand horse. It was a shock for me when I first got him, but absolutely no regrets. And like you said, they're just big. They're tanks. Tank is the best word to describe them. Yep, they are massive. I mean, yeah, drafty is the is the word I was looking for, and so you you uh, said that for me. But who um, ended up actually gentling Woodrow? Was that you, or did you have help? No, it was me. Um, I'm pretty crazy, um, and like I said, I've grown <laughs> up. You know, I'm 32 years old now, which is nuts. Um, but I've grown <laughs> up with horses. I've been around them my whole life. I have you know, a good bit of horse experience. Um, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a professional trainer by any means, but um, I have a good bit of horse experience. And so after winning, like I said, I didn't have a lot of time once I got the link to the um, BLM page to see the horses on the internet. I didn't have a lot of time to really quite figure out what I was getting myself into. And so after winning Woodrow's bid, that was about the end of February, and I had until the middle of April until I picked him up. So I had a little bit of time to actually figure out what I had just gotten myself into. Um, (laughs) And I learned a lot in that month and a half um, and, you know, got kind of all set up and watched some videos of, you know, well-known trainers that have done a lot with the Mustangs. And, um Thankful that since we do have the family farm, uh, my mother-in-law has been very involved with horses for many years. Um, and then also, you know, my, my two sister-in-laws have also been horse girls their whole lives. So I had a big support system. Um, obviously, my mom as well. Unfortunately, my dad passed away a couple years ago. But um truly believe that he's the one that sent Woodrow to me. Um, I have more funny stories about that later on if we can get to those but um yeah so i i did it i've done all of woodrow's training myself with help from um my mother-in-law my sister-in-law and you know my mom just support you know like you can do this it's okay on the good days and the bad days so yeah but yeah all the the gentling starting under saddle and where we are now i've i've done myself Well, you've done an amazing job because I don't know if I've told you this, but I've actually been following you and your um, your page for probably like like a year and a half. I've been following. Oh wow! Wow. Yeah, because I had um, I was following Sam Van Fleet when she was training Boo, and then I remember 
when you ended up buying her or when you adopted her, whatever, um, I was like, oh, my gosh, is that the same lady who has that paint stallion or that pinto stallion, the uh, the one named Woodjo? And then I went and I looked, and sure enough, it was, and I was like, what the heck? So I didn't even realize that you had more of his um, offspring, and so I thought that was really cool. And so when you had commented on my post, your story, I was like, oh, my God, I have to get her on the podcast, <laughs> like, right now. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, because Woodrow, Woodrow is a, uh, one of a favorites of mine. I always tell people about him, actually. So, um, oh, thank so, yeah, you. He's, yeah, he's a little famous, so he's got a fan club. He has been, uh, he's been famous since even before I, I got him. He was famous out in the wild. So uh, that's actually honestly why I started the Facebook page. I started it for those that followed him and knew him out um, in Wyoming. And it has turned into so much more than I could have ever imagined. Yeah. So how old was he um, out on the range? Like, how long has he been a stallion for? Seven years. Yeah, he was seven, roughly seven years old when um, he was gathered and gilded. Wow. Seven years. That's crazy. And so how was he to gentle? Was he pretty difficult? Or what would you say? Yeah, so now that I've done... Okay, so if you would have asked me during the gentling process and probably a couple months afterwards, I would have been like, he was so hard, right? <laughs> I didn't have anything to compare him to, and I've never had a horse that I couldn't touch for eight days, literally sitting in the pen just begging him to come, let me touch him. <laughs> um, I've never wanted to touch a horse as badly as I wanted to touch him after those eight days. So um, I thought he was, like, insanely hard, and now that I've done a couple more, um, by no means are they easy, right? They're wild horses. They're not easy. But um, he's definitely been one of my easier ones, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, my first Mustang, too, it took me, like, seven days. And that was for a 100-day um, tip challenge. And literally on day seven, I was so upset because everybody else, you know, you watch other people's progress. Right for these 100-day tip challenges, everybody else was petting on their horses and loving on them, and they had the tags off, and I was like, mine won't even look at me. Like, what do I do? I'm a failure. Um, but now looking back, we ended up winning that tip challenge. So looking back, it's like, wasn't that big of a deal? Yeah, it paid off in the end, you know, all the blood, sweat, and all my tears. So, uh, yeah, I feel like yes, I've cried many tears with Woodrow. Yeah. Happy and sad. But, it's, <laughs> you know, they're all, it just shows that each of these horses are just on their own timeline. And, yeah, it took me eight days to touch him. But then I feel like after I was able to touch him and get a hold of, he was haltered and had a drive rope on him. Uh, we want to get a hold of his rope. We kind of just learned together and just kind of rolled right along. Um, which has been, it was, you know, remarkable because I was like, if this whole thing is this slow, I'll be lucky if I'm on this horse in a year, you know, like, <laughs> so. So, okay. Uh, moving on then. So how did you, what made you decide to get his babies? I mean, obviously you loved him so much, but you must have seen one or two of them out there for adoption or how did that all transpire? Yeah, so I've become really good friends with the two main photographers that followed Woodrow and his band out in the wild, um, Tanya Triplett and Melissa Lofthouse. And um, I think, sorry, Melissa, if I'm not saying the last name correctly, but I think that's how you say it. 
Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I became really close with Tanya, and she had sent me, obviously, when I had actually connected with her when I saw her, one of her photos of Woodrow on Facebook, and then I saw him on the Internet adoption, and I was like, oh, my goodness. So I connected with her, had a lot of really late-night conversations with her about him and his family, and um, I just, you know, obviously couldn't take on – I didn't even know what I was taking on with Woodrow, like, let's be honest. So I was like, oh, let me kind of get him and see where we are, and um, knowing that his herd had been gathered with him. So, um, yeah, long story short, I kind of got him going and was just very casually on a search. Like, man, it would be so awesome if I could reunite him with some of his family. Like, doesn't seem to be something that's done often. And how cool would it be since Tanya and Melissa have documented so much of his family over the last two, two and a half years, I think they they followed him. So I kind of just went like, you know, I was always stalking the website for the internet adoptions and I was, I had learned so much about the makeovers and the tip challenges. So I kind of joined as many of those pages on Facebook as I could just to keep an eye out, knowing that Tanya and Melissa, they were also too looking for them um, and had actually found some and had some of their own. Like Tanya has Woodrow's boss mare. Um, who was pregnant at the time of the gather. So when she adopted her, she foaled shortly after. Um, so she has a Woodrow mare and baby. Um, and then Melissa also ended up with two of his babies. So I knew they were out there. It was just a matter of getting, you know, finding them and then seeing how I could get my hands on them. So it was kind of almost like a challenge, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm gentling Woodrow. I need more challenges in my life. Ha ha. Um, so I found, so then one of his mares was in holding out there in Rock Springs in Wyoming and she fold and had McCray. And so, um, actually rewind a second. Um, Tanya sent me a picture of Gigi and I was like, oh man, she's really cute out in the wild. She was roughly two weeks old when they saw her and she was gathered. And so Tanya thought she was a gelding. And at the time, I was not a mare person. I only wanted a gelding. So I was like, okay, like if it's a gelding, I I would, you know, if you could get him for me, I'd take him. And then come to find out in holding, she's a mare. And I was like, (laughs) "Mm, she's really cute, but she was kind of like that ugly duckling, like really scraggly. She had a rough start since they were, she was gathered at two weeks old. She was separated from her mother just a rough start. So the poor thing looked horrible. And I was like, mm, I'll probably pass on her since one of his other mares had a known gelding, Colt, little mm-hmm. Colt. And I was like, I'll probably go for him. So I was like, perfect. I'll have Woodrow. I'll have McCray. Um, Tanya, the photographer, named him McCray because Woodrow's herd is named after the lonesome dove. Um, so okay. that's why they're all kind of named like that, except for the females because the females – there are only two females in the Lonesome Dove, so they kind of had to branch out a little bit with their names. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, yeah, I was like, oh, great, I'll have Woodrow and I'll have McCray. McCray will be younger. I'll just kind of slowly bring him along as I do my thing with Woodrow. And then somebody was like, hey, Boo is in the Florida makeover. And I was like, yeah, who's Boo? <laughs> <laughs> so they sent me a picture of her, and they were like, she looks just like Woodrow. 
And so I saw her, obviously, when somebody thinks one looks or acts like Woodrow, I obviously immediately start stalking. And come to find <laughs> out, I matched her with some pictures from out in the wild, was in touch with Tanya immediately. She's like, yep, that's one of his. So I got in touch with Sam, and I was like, look, I don't know if you have any interest in her, but I have to have her. I have her father. It would be amazing to reunite her with her dad. Um, I'm supposed to be getting one of his his sons, but it's not really yet confirmed because he's still so young. She's like, okay, yeah, like I've had some interest, um, but I'll see if a friend of mine can can bid for you at the at the makeover. And I said, great, that's wonderful. So fast forward, the makeover comes. Sam does fantastic with Boo. Um, I was able to bid and had a, a very generous friend of mine donate me some money so that I was able to get Boo. Um, and so we won our bid, which was amazing. And Sam shipped her up to me. And literally a week later, McCray arrived from Wyoming. So within a week, I got Boo and I got McCray, and I went from one Mustang to three. Oh, man. <laughs> so that was all back in May 2019. Now, of course, I knew McCray was coming. He had been out in Wyoming. They had gotten him out of holding. I had it all arranged with the shipper to pick him up and bring him. But it was just funny how it kind of all dwindled down. And within a week, I went from one Mustang to three. And then um, I knew that Gigi, um, the one that I saw initially, the little female that I saw and holding the little mare, um, had gone to do the Georgia Tip Challenge, and she had a home, a really good home, and they loved her to pieces, and they were going to keep her, and so I knew she was safe, and that, to me, is what matters. Mm -hmm. And so the owner actually reached out. Her daughter was, you know, going to college and all the unknowns with COVID because that had just hit in March. They needed to, to find Gigi at home. And of course I was the first one to come to mind. And I thought, Oh my unknowns with COVID. I just don't know. She's a Woodrow. What do I do? Um, <laughs> so I felt badly because I had already turned her down once and I was like, I can't turn her down again. Like she's coming back to me for a reason. So, um, yeah, I ended up getting her right as COVID hit. And um, so, yeah, I have Woodrow and three of his babies. And then actually, reverse a little bit, uh, my sister-in-law has another one of his babies that was at a tip trainer's in Colorado. And um, I was, of course, contacted because Tanya, the photographer, realized that he she was a Woodrow. And so... Um, after she fold, had her baby, they're like, oh, do you want her? And I was like, I, I can't take on a mare and a foal. Um, I already have a gelding coming from Wyoming. Like, I just, I can't. So they found them homes. The homes didn't work out. And the, the girl reached out to me again. And she's like, come on, you're going to love her. Like, you just. <laughs> so I went begging to my sister-in-law, like, please, can you take her? You'll love her. So she's like, yeah, sure. Why not? So she has Dove. Um, so we technically have Woodrow and four of his babies in Maryland. Um, and then, yeah, we also now have one of his mares. Um, she came, I guess, the end of July. Um, so she was in Florida with a um, really sweet girl there and um, had gone through and done some training. And the girl had to find her a home. 
um, so that she could continue to do tip challenges and continue to get Mustangs out of holding. And so she reached out to me, <laughs> saying that she was a Woodrow and I was like, I literally, I can't. Like, I just can't. Yeah. Um, I'm so maxed. So I reached out to my sister-in-law that has Dove, because um, Ellie is actually Gigi and Dove's mom, and she's like, I can't take on another one, but my sister-in-law, my husband's sister, wants a Mustang. I said, perfect. Like, let's see if she'll take Ellie. So called her up. She's like, yes, please. What do I have to do? I'll take her. So um, we have a Woodrow. We have Woodrow, one of his mares, and um, let's see, oh, four of his babies here in Maryland. Wow. And he just keeps calling them home. And I tell him every day, Woodrow, you can call them all to Maryland. I will take them, but you have got to find a money tree. (laughs) (laughs) Or you have to make me, you have got to make me some money, honey. Because I cannot, I am a stay-at-home mom on a little budget. I cannot be taking all these Mustangs. But I also have a really hard time saying no, and he knows it. So he just keeps on calling them all to Maryland. But, yeah, it's been a lot of fun kind of looking for them. And honestly, the only one I really, you know, I've looked for a lot. I actually, I was looking for a gelding, um, a particular gelding for my mother-in-law and we found him. He went through the honor farm prison program out in Wyoming. And Tanya was very gracious to go to that auction for us. And because of the prison, you can't take in cell phones, you can't take in cameras. So we went, we told her our budget. She went in and he um, he broke a 30-year record, and he sold for $5,700. Wow. Um, which was over our budget, even though Tanya continued to bid over our budget. And we wouldn't have been mad at her if she would have won, won and it was over our budget. But he broke a 30-year record um, in the highest bidding price for a horse. Um, and we're bummed that we missed out on him. But, again, he has a wonderful home. They are well aware and have my contact information if they ever want to sell him, um, that he has a forever home here in Maryland. So it's been stressful, challenging, and also a lot of fun at the same time to kind of track down his babies. Um, And they're all worth the hard work and the tears um, and money (laughs) to get them. But... Yeah. So when you ended up acquiring this whole family <laughs> of Mustangs, um, in the beginning, I mean, or when you had the idea to even get, you know, each of these individual horses, did you have, like, any plans in mind for each of them? Or was it just kind of like, okay, well, I kind of want to get them all here and then, you know, see what's up? Or, I mean, what was your plan initially? Oh, Abby, <laughs> my plan was to not own four Mustangs, uh, <laughs> but, you know, thing life doesn't go as planned, right? So, like, you just kind of have to, I just started to, after winning Boo um, and then McCray coming, obviously, I knew about them. Gigi was a bit of a surprise, and I was kind of at that point like, hey, you know, bring it on. I'm ready. Um, I love these horses. They're a huge, huge part of my heart, um, and I love to event. And, you know, being on the East Coast, Mustangs are not popular. Thoroughbreds, hands down. You go to an event, you see a ton of thoroughbreds, you see some warm bloods, um, you don't see a lot of Mustangs. I'm not saying that you don't see any, but they're very rare. 
Um, So, you know, after realizing that and getting Woodrow out into the public eye, he's obviously very flashy. Um, So people stop me and ask me. They can't quite figure out what he is, right? Um, (laughs) So I very loudly and proudly say he's a Mustang. He's a wild Mustang from Wyoming. And now that Boo is out eventing and competing with him, um, her brand on her neck is very clear. So that's a fantastic conversation starter for her because, honestly, just looking at her, she's a cute little pony, right? And then they see her brand, and they're like, oh, what's that? Is she a Mustang? (laughs) Some people ask. Some people have no idea what it is. So it's just a great conversation starter being out um, in public. But, yeah, my goal for all of them is to event them. Um, You know, ideally, my horses kind of tell me what they want to do, and I'll do my best to do what they want. Um, but, you know, starting Woodrow, he literally tripped and fell to his nose over a little Cavaletti, um, when I started him (laughs) lunging him over ground poles and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is not promising. He's never going to event and he's jumping three feet now. So you just never, you know, you just never know. (laughs) Um, so my goal for all of them is to get them out in the public eye and to event them and have them do the dressage and the stadium and the and the cross country. Um, but so far, Woodrow and Boo, they just absolutely love it. Um, and, you know, I hope and pray that McCray and Gigi love it too. And if they don't, then we'll hopefully find something that they, that they love to do. Um, but the Woodrow babies, even the ones out at Wyoming that they're trying to make like barrel racing horses and Western horses, they all love to jump. Um, which is hilarious because <laughs> you kind of look at Woodrow and think, hmm, yeah. is he going to make it over that or, <laughs> or what? Um, so, and you don't look at a Mustang and think, oh, they're going to be a great jumper, right? You just never know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we'll be eventing all four of them, Woodrow's the Lonesome Dove team. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, like, what's funny is that, yeah, people don't really think that Mustangs would make these, you know, super talented jumpers. But <clears throat> when you think about it, they kind of have nature on their side, you know, the way that right. they spread and the land has really shaped them. So who knows what kind of obstacles they've had to go over. You know, they're they're built to be able to do that. So um, I think that's really cool, you know, that you said that. And it's also really cool that um, you said – that you don't want, you want to let your horses tell you what they want to do. And that is so rare to find, you know, a lot of people aren't like that. And that's why we have so many horses up for sale or so many, you know, people that are trying to rehome. Oh, well, they're just not what I was looking for. And that's okay. I mean, obviously, if you're looking for something, you know, obviously, okay, you know, you got to find what you're looking for. But there is also the case where it's like, okay, but if you and that horse are doing really well and, if you're capable of doing something that they're capable of doing, why not give them a chance? I mean, you never know. Maybe they're telling you something, or maybe they might introduce you into a discipline that you might end up loving. I mean, they're just like people. They all have their different talents and needs and things like that. And it's very rare for the owners to conform to the horse rather than, you know, the horses are always conforming to us. So Right. Yeah. Right. Which isn't so I, always fair. It's just, it's not, yeah. you know. Some horses are built to, you know, like jump an event and or do show jumpers or do hunters and then so, or do like some English disciplines. 
Some of them are meant to do endurance. Some of them are meant to be Western. Now, if my guys want to be Western, I have a lot to learn. (laughs) And my one sister-in-law is, she's primarily Western. So, again, I'm kind of, you know, I'm open to whatever they they want to do, but the young guys that I have kind of show um, a good bit of potential in following in their father's in their father's yeah. footsteps. Yeah. So that's, that's promising because that's where my heart is. But again, like you said, what if they introduced me to, you know, a Western discipline that I never thought or knew I would love? Um, and how cool would that be? Um, yeah. My main goal is to just be able to get them out in the public eye. You know, mm-hmm. I, if I need to learn some Western, then, and that gets them out in the public and that gets me learning something new, that that's great. Um, you know, I think a big thing for these Mustangs and what I've found kind of being in the eventing and the, I like to call it the snooty English world, um, <laughs> is a lot of people don't realize that Mustangs can be in an English discipline. They look at them as being Western trail riding, you know, kind of that type of discipline. And I'm like, oh, no, here, let me prove you wrong. Let me <laughs> let me show you what my Mustang can do. <laughs> so yeah. that part of it is a lot of fun just, you know, for them to see, you know, to be able to go into the dressage ring um, and, you know, have a horse that isn't necessarily what you would look at as being a dressage horse. And he goes mm-hmm. and, you know, he's second place out of 12 on just his dressage score. Um, so, you know, just to prove to people that they don't have to look or be built or do anything a certain way. It's all comes down to the heart and the bond that you have with your horse. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know about you, but I've never had the same bond with any domestic horse that I have with the Mustangs. It's You're completely right. different. Yeah, it's, yep. there's no there's no comparison. And if you're a listener and you only have domestic horses and you're rolling your eyes at me, just wait. You have to see it for yourself. Everyone, I have never met anybody who has disagreed with me, you know, that the Mustangs create, there's a different bond than with a domestic horse. I mean, it's just, it's facts. Like, it's it's so true. So, um and yeah, you don't, don't honestly know. know that. If somebody had told me that before I got one draw, I would have been like, oh, you're funny. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you don't know it until you get your own and you experience that bond yeah. and that trust. You just don't You just don't know it until you get that and you get to experience it firsthand. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you've, um, you know, been with them through their whole training journey. Um, I mean, and a lot of people, I mean, that kind of can go – uh, different ways. So, so I should kind of backtrack what I'm saying. So a lot of times, a lot of people who might not have the experience to gentle musting, they want to have that, you know, crazy bond that, you know, that, that bond that we have with them. And that's why they want to start them from the ground up. But a lot of times that can turn very quickly into a nightmare if you don't have the proper experience or skills to, you know, move that relationship forward with the Mustangs. And I think that's why some people get turned off from them because they've had bad experiences trying to gentle them. So if you want to start your own Mustang from the ground up, my best advice to you is, you know, yes, it is magical, but 
please get a trainer to help you and find someone who has the experience that can help you troubleshoot because there is a lot that can go wrong with gentling a wild horse. It is very dangerous, not only for, you know, you, but it can be dangerous for them because you don't want, you know, your horse jumping over your fences, getting their legs caught up, you know, if there's, it's just, there's a lot that can go wrong. So have someone there who's experienced. That's my advice. And, you know, Anne, I know you can probably, you know, attest to that as well. You had horse experience before, and then you gentled this straight out of the wild, previously stallion of an entire band. So you're pretty crazy for that. Even I have <laughs> done that. So, um, And I think part of it, I always say, oh, I went into it head first. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And, okay, that is honestly the truth. But I've been around horses long enough to have enough horse sense that I could read body language and that kind of stuff when he was telling me. Um, But I had never experienced or done anything like that. Some that were great, some that were like loose cannon. So I had that kind of experience. Um, And my heart horse was a quarter horse warm blood cross, but he was absolutely crazy. Um, And I was with him for 19 years. So, but it's, you know, like you said, it can be very dangerous. And yes, I went into it head first, not knowing a thing about the Mustangs or the gentling process. But I did have a good amount of horse experience prior to to just jumping in head first, as I like to say, what I did. <laughs> yeah, and you had that month before to do some of your research as well. So, I mean, as long as you guys out there are being careful and you have someone that you can go to for advice, I say go for it because, again, these Mustangs are – they're even bigger teachers than, you know, any horse trainer out there can tell you. These horses are going to teach you how it really is, you know. So um, they don't, I mean, they don't mess around. It's not like a domestic horse. You know, they're very forgiving and things like that. Well, Mustangs don't really know how to be forgiving to humans just yet. They're adapting. This is a new world for them. Um, You know, they just got, you know, picked up off the land and then pushed into a corral. This is totally, totally new for them. Um, And that's what even makes it more amazing to me that they can adapt so well. I mean, their lives have been turned completely upside down, and yet they will do anything for you. Like, they're, I mean, it's probably because we feed them. That might be it. You know, they're not starving out on the land. But um, believe it or not, though, Woodrow was so not food motivated. Not at all. Not at all. He wanted nothing to do with it. He would eat his alfalfa, and that was it. I couldn't even bribe him. Like, here, I'll <laughs> give you this if you let me touch you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's not food motivated at all. I mean, even now, like, he kind of moves. He's up to his stall and into his bucket. Like, he's, don't get me wrong, he doesn't skip a meal. But <laughs> he's not like a couple, I would say, in my experience, the mares are much more food motivated than the geldings are, in my experience. Yeah. yeah. I have... um so I have two mares that I, which is funny, I'm kind of like you. So I have my first tip challenge mare that I told you about before. I got a second mare that looks just like her for the sole purpose that she looked just like my first right. one. So I was like, oh, my God, it looks like Lana. I have to get her. So I did. And the both of them are such clowns. I taught them how to smile. 
and I'll be standing outside of their pen, and they'll stick their heads out. I won't even be facing them or looking at them, and they're behind me staring at me, smiling for a treat, and it's like, oh, good Lord, leave me alone. (laughs) They are just, they are so funny. But, yeah, they're so food-motivated. And then I think the only one that I had that wasn't food-motivated was probably that salt wells mare I was telling you about. I had such a hard time with her. We did not click at all, and she was already started under saddle and everything. Um, And so I ended up selling her to a good friend of mine, and they rope off of her, and they love that horse. So that all worked out well, but she was not interested in food whatsoever. That horse did not care how sweet the treats I had were. She did not care. So, yeah, there's definitely some that are, you know, not every method works for every horse. So you kind of have to. Exactly, which is also what makes the Mustang so much fun because I love a good challenge. And that's kind of why I've gotten into the tip challenges and, um, you know, into just getting more Mustangs out of holding and gentling them because you just never know what you're going to get. And some are really amazing and some don't want it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, you know, again, like in life with horses, you never know what you're going to get. And as I always say, it's a crapshoot. Um, but you know, <laughs> it's, at least you're getting them out of holding and, you know, um, giving them a chance at, at a good life. Um, yeah. And oh. go ahead. Oh no, it's okay. Go ahead. I just, you know, getting them out of holding <laughs> and kind of getting them a chance at, a new life and learning yeah. that the domestic life is great and that they'll love it. And some do and some don't. That's just fine. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's totally true, which that actually recently happened to me, which is what I was going to say. Um, I had a gelding. He was my first tip horse. So I had just gotten approved to be a tip trainer. And I got this gelding in from Anaki and he, he was super, super pretty, com- all bay, completely bay, no white anywhere except for he had like a really faint star on his forehead and one completely blue eye. Really, really pretty horse, um, but he was just so wild. And when I got him to my house, we put a halter on him and a drag line on him, but I couldn't even get close enough to pick up the the drag line. I mean, he was just so bad. And um, I would be in the barn. So I don't know exactly how long my barn is. I want to say it's probably like 60 feet from the round pen because right at the end of my barn, I have my round pen. So I would walk into the barn to feed, and he would already be at the other side of the round pen, snorting, pacing back and forth, pawing. And I'm like, oh, his thresholds were huge. And so um, it took me three months, which I had to get uh, two extensions with this horse, um, and I could barely just touch him on the nose. Finally, I had just found a sanctuary to send him to, and he's perfectly happy out there. He's got, I don't remember how many acres they had, but it's like a big, you know, open pasture with other wild horses that, you know, couldn't be gentled. And so that's where he's at now. He's still not gentle, but he's, you know, living his life, and someone's taking care of him, and so... Um, you know, it just happens. Some of them, you really can't take the wild out of them. And I don't think it's anyone's fault. You know, it's just some horses. And I don't think, you know, some, right, exactly. It's not your fault. It's not that you're a bad trainer or bad, you know, whatever. It's, you know, some of them, like you said, they just, they don't want it. Um, And, you know, I think the hard part is that you want to save them all. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you feel like you're giving up if you're calling it quits and you're really not 
you're not giving up on them at all. Um, they just don't want it. They don't either want to trust or that, you know, whatever the case might be. And, um, I think as a trainer, that might be with these Mustangs, that might be the hardest part, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, and it was definitely discouraging for me because I was like, man, this is my first one. And I couldn't even, I could only touch him on the nose. But I, I had to realize, you know what, even though he's your first tip horse, you've done, you've gentled 11 horses before that. Like, it's not a big deal. And so I was very discouraged about the whole thing. And on top of that, he would not gain any weight because he was so stressed out at home. Right. And, I mean, he was always on edge. So I was like, it's no wonder this guy looks like a racehorse. Like, you know, when they're really lean and, like, muscular, but they're not, they're not like, skinny, emaciated. That's how he was because he would never relax. He was always so tense. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this isn't even healthy for him to be here. Like, he looks better than he did, you know, when he was in holding, but, you know, barely. Like, he's still right, right. so stressed and so tense. And so um, they let him go out in this big pasture area. And last I heard, he's doing great. So Yeah, that's you know, awesome. Yeah. And his feet were awesome too. I was very worried about his feet. I was like, Oh my gosh, if he's never gentled, like, but when he came to my house, he had really, really good feet. That's what I always look at that. I don't know. I'm kind of weird. I always look at their hooves and I'm like, okay, how long can I go until they got to get done? And that's kind of how I base my timeline type of thing. But, um, he had good feet, so he should be fine, but we never got his tag off either. So hopefully, uh, his tag somehow comes off. I don't know how, but we could not get it off. Um, yeah, so, and I was actually talking to somebody else. I don't know if, um, I don't know if any of your horses had come or if uh, Woodrow came with his tag on. Do you, did, did he have a tag on when you first got him? Yes. Yeah, the only one that wasn't tagged was Boo because Sam had her and removed it through the, you know, she was the one that removed it because she was going through the makeover. Right. Um and Gigi, you know, Gigi was already kind of, but no, all all the wild ones I've done have had tags, so, yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. I think a lot of people wonder, tag on or off, when they first get them from holding, and I always say, I think it depends on the horse, and it depends on why you're getting them. If it's like a personal horse, I say leave it on, you know, or if it's for a challenge, you know, leave it on, because, I mean, I think that's motivation to get it off and then to really gentle them. Um, but if you're just, I mean, if the horse is pretty wild or it might be a more difficult animal, I would say take it off because you really never know. And that's, I mean, I learned from my experience, you know, with that with that gelding, you know, if they're kind of iffy, tag is going to have to come off because you don't want it. I don't want it to be still on like it is today. You know, it's been months since he's been adopted and this tag is still on. We can't get it off, you know. So um, I think that's a, a pretty good piece of advice too for anyone wondering about that um, but what I really wanted to ask you and this is going to be one of my favorite questions because this is a very big controversial topic um, uh, you know surrounding the horses and surrounding the uh, Bureau of Land Management is do you feel that any of your horses were severely traumatized from their experience being gathered um, with the helicopters or anything like that no I truly don't um I mean, so Woodrow's herd was gathered with the helicopter. There's pictures of them running from the helicopter. Um, and helicopters fly over, planes fly over. They don't, nothing happens. Like, they're fine. Um, 
and little Gigi, she was obviously gathered um, via horseback because she was only two weeks old and couldn't keep up with the herd when they were running in. Um, so she um, was roped and brought in um, off of horseback, and she's she's fine. If you're riding through the field, she comes right up to you. Um, she had the helicopter very close to her, uh, and didn't seem it doesn't seem to bother her at all when they fly over. So, no, I yeah. would say that there hasn't been any trauma from the gathers. Yeah, which is for my personal here. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I mean, I do have one. My first mare. Um, I do have her who she has a weird thing about clapping and being in like indoor arenas and the clapping echoes and she just totally flips the switch and she's spastic but then when we have because we live uh, by military base so we have planes coming over constantly she could care less so at first I thought okay maybe it's from her being gathered but none of my other horses have ever acted that way so I think it's something else um, that might just be bothering her she's very sensitive to energy so it might be the energy from the clapping and it might just be overwhelming for her but um, yeah I've never had one traumatized by the helicopters either and like I said I've gentled over 10 or 11 um, and so and you have you know four or five from, you know, that you have, you know, come in contact with that you don't think have been traumatized. So I'm going to ask, you know, anybody that I really talk to about it because I want to debunk that whole theory surrounding um, the gathers. So um, let me see. What was my other question? Oh, so, you know, just from your perspective as a Mustang owner, um, do you have any concerns or questions or anything like that about the um, management practices and methods about BLM? I mean, anything at all, because, I mean, whatever your question is, somebody else might have a question as well. No, I mean, I think it's always going to be a controversial topic, and I think it's always going to be, um, you know, people having a lot of opinions about the gathers and about the staying and the, you know, trying to control the herd herd management areas. And, you know, I, I wish I had a magic wand and the, the right answer. I don't, I don't know if there is necessarily the right answer, um, you know, for it. There are a lot of horses and, <laughs> um, you know, I, I am for the gathers because I have my guys. If they weren't gathered off the land, I never would have had Woodrow. I never would have been, um, you know, where I am today with the Mustangs. Mm -hmm. um, I would ideally love to see them be able to control the herd humanely um, so that the horses can stay wild and free. I just think that we're so far past that with the amount of horses that are on the land um, that I don't know if that, if we'll, if we'll see that, at least in my lifetime. Yeah. But, I mean, at least from, I mean, me and you can both say that, um, you know, at least we've done our part to help the issue, even just a little bit, because I think even one Mustang, like, you couldn't help all of them, but we helped one. And for that horse, that's everything, you know, so that's their whole life that has been, you know, drastically changed. And um, I don't like to say that we've rescued them from the BLM, because BLM feeds them and cares for them and things like that. So they're not necessarily being rescued. But I think that we do save them from a life of, um, you know, no meaning, you know, no purpose. And then when we get them, you know, now their life has more purpose and they, you know, they, they can live for something type of thing instead of just being in a stall, you know, for the rest of their lives or 
whatever. And actually, um, I almost prefer, you know, I think it's really cool that they have the long-term holding. A lot of people don't know that these long-term holding pens are not like a corral that you see um, when you go to adopt a horse. No, these are like giant pastures um, with green grass. I mean, it looks like a paradise. And I think a lot of these long-term holding um, facilities are, are back east, I think. Um, so there's not, I mean, there's a few here west, but I know that there's a few um, back east as well. So if you even Google it on YouTube or something, you can watch videos of these horses running on their little long-term holding piece of land, and it just looks like paradise to me for any horse. So um, that's really cool. Um, and thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing your story about your Mustangs and, you know, just giving your advice and your insight. I really, really appreciate it, and I know that the listeners are going to appreciate it as well. Um, so before we wrap things up, do you have any questions for me or any lasting thoughts you wanted to uh, put out there? No, no. I mean, I like, I, I agree with you about, you know, these Mustangs. I'd, I'd love to say that I rescued them, but like you said, I mean, the BLM, they definitely do the best that they can with the resources that they have. And, um, you know, they've, my guys have arrived in, you know, good health and um, going to the facility to pick up one of them. I was able to see kind of firsthand what goes on there and I was impressed, you know, like you were dealing with uh, hundreds of wild horses, right? We're not dealing with domestics that um, you can kind of easily separate or do whatever you need to do if they need medical care or whatnot. And, you mm -hmm. know, the employees, they really genuinely do, you know, care about these horses. And, you know, I'm speaking at least from the facility that I went to, I'm sure like anything, there might be one that doesn't care as much as the next person. But um, I think overall, <laughs> you know, the BLM really does care about these horses and they want what's best um, for them. So, um, you know, like you said, I mean, here Woodrow, right, for instance, was out in the land. He was a stallion. He had a job. He had a family that he looked after. He had to get them to food and to water, and he had a job. I think that horse sitting and holding, you know, even then going to long-term holding or whatever, which I know would have happened with him because of his color. But, you know, if that had happened, he just would have had no, like, drive or motivation to live. You know, like, mm -hmm. I think him having another purpose in life and having me and having my boys and his whole new human family, um, and now I've been able to re reunite him with some of his, you know, babies, um, you know, it's kind of, like you said, they gives them a second second chance and, you know, purpose in life instead of just kind of sitting in a holding facility. And like we said earlier in the podcast, some want it and some don't, and that's perfectly okay. So, yeah. um, you know, Abby, thank you so much for having me on. I could talk for days about uh, Woodrow <laughs> and the Mustangs. I just love so much. So thank you so much for this opportunity. I, I, you know, I'm excited for the listeners to listen, and thank you guys that are out there listening to it. Um, you know, we just we love them. And if you can't tell that by the podcast, then you need to listen <laughs> again. So right. um, thank you, Abby, very much. Of course. All righty. Well, that's all from us. And um, thank you guys so much for listening. We will have some more next week. Okay. Thank you, Anne. Bye. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by Crossbow Equine Services. Kylie Bowen, owner, founder, and CEO of Crossbow Equine, is offering services to coach you in your equine business needs. As a trainer and equine entrepreneur herself, 
Kylie has the knowledge from learning through past mistakes as an early business owner and knows the equine industry from the inside out. Equine sales marketing, leveraging social media, and helping you develop your brand are just some of the things that she does best when it comes to serving you and your horses. For listeners of this podcast, Kylie is offering a free 15-minute consultation call. You can contact her by email at crossbowequinellc at aol.com. That's crossbowequinellc at aol.com with the subject line Mustang 20. To get in touch and book your free equine business consultation, email crossbowequinellc at aol.com. Thank you. If you're interested in adopting a Mustang or Burrow or are looking for resources, please visit blm.gov programs and select the Wild Horse and Burrow column to learn more. If you are not in the position to adopt, please share this podcast with a friend and start a conversation. If you would like to donate to our Wild Horses and Burrows, please visit mustangheritagefoundation.org donate. Thanks for listening.